Oh, okay. Um, hi, well, our names are Kim and Jay, and we are organic market gardeners. We're located in Bina, South Gippsland, and this is the Our People podcast. We would like to begin to just acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're gathering today, the Bunurong people, and we would like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we would love to extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. So at the moment, um, it's actually you know, a pretty difficult time to grow the shoulder season coming into winter. So we've got all of our winter crops that are still babies um, and we're living off the last of the, the kind of the last summer push. So uh, we are just outside the little township of Bina in South Gippsland. Um, and we are in the beautiful rolling hills. Our um, organic market garden farm is located in production on um, about half an acre. So yeah, we see a lot of native wildlife, a lot of yeah, beautiful trees, rolling hills, and um, amazing views when the, when the weather permits. We're walking into what we call the salad bar now with our overhead irrigation. And our salad bar has our seasonal salad mix, so it's always rotating. At the moment we've got chard leaves, um, baby mizuna, we've got French breakfast. We grow predominantly organic flowers. Um, it doesn't look that way because we're coming into winter now, but coming into next season will be 60 to 65% cut flowers and 35 to 40% vegetables. And in saying that we will produce a lot of vegetables, but we definitely prioritize flowers in the terms of there's no such thing as organic flowers in Australia really. And we produce organic tubers, organic cut flowers, organic potted flowers. But for vegetables, we grow a lot of varieties that you wouldn't be able to get. You know, we grow specialty onions, we grow kohlrabis. Through winter, we're growing fire red cauliflower, purple cauliflowers. We're growing ruminesco cauliflowers. We're going big on the cauliflowers, aren't we? Um, a few different varieties of kale, rainbow chard. We grow around 20 to 25 varieties of vegetables, and we grow around probably 10 to 15 cut flowers, but on a larger scale, concentrating really heavily on the biodiversity of the farm. So we have all sorts of things coding next to each other experimenting more next season with different varieties to make us look a bit more funky in our farmer's markets, as well as just stock some fun stuff for people to get a bit of variety in their diet. Them out. Um, on the fence line, we have our storage pumpkins. That's for us over winter. If we have excess, we sell it, but we, we try to be self-sufficient for our own food first. Um, I was born in Rotterdam in the Netherlands, which is the second biggest city of that little country that has so many people in it. My upbringing was very suburban, so we were just outside of a big city, like we were always very busy. I was always very, even though we didn't grow our own food, my mom always had flowers everywhere and takes really good care of her garden, but I think our backyard might only be eight meters in like length or I would say it um, so it was tiny and um, I've always always loved nature and I think always kind of knew I was going to end up somewhere else because yeah I just didn't grow up being surrounded by a lot of nature went to uni in the city um, did media and marketing and got a job as a copywriter at I just turned 21 went in that full-time work mode nine to five job life and ended up really not liking it and then I packed up my stuff um, and left to go backpacking in Asia. 
And yeah, a few months in, I met Jay, and that's when the world just kind of <laughs> spun around. And yeah, life's never been the same, as cliche as it sounds. I grew up in Seaford, and I spent a lot of my time in the peninsula growing up. Where I grew up, I was across the road from the beach, and, and that, was, that was insane. We backed onto the Cannonaut Creek so I could kayak to my friends' houses, and um, it was just a great way to grow up. And um, my family traveled a lot, so I was really lucky to go overseas a lot when I was young. And in, in particular, we spent a lot of time in the South Pacific, going to small island nations, which really gave me a, an idea of, you know, small community feeling. And um, I took a lot from that growing up. I really wanted to study sociology or something like anthropology to involve my travel. But ever since MySpace was a thing, my about, my about me said that I wanted to be a farmer. So I'm pretty much stuck to that gun. Eventually I finished school as the same age as Kim. I was what, 21 when I decided to go to Southeast Asia. and. Actually, I was volunteering on a farm in Laos when Kim came through with another group of Dutchies and had to leave that farm and follow her off. <laughs> I was, what, a week into my volunteer program and I remember I was, <laughs> I was a bit of a renegade when I was a bit younger, a bit loose. I was your typical Australian, I guess, which is a, I'm ashamed to say when you're overseas. You know, I was 21, I just left my important jobs and I was, uh, drinking a lot, partying pretty heavily. I think the first thing you said to me, Kim, when I was acting a bit silly was, you know, are you, are you stupid or something? No, that was because you were playing with knives. We were just with a big group and all the guys were like, I guess on the path of discovering themselves and a bit wild. And yeah, and I sat opposite Jay at a dinner one night with a French friend of mine and he was playing with a knife and I was just like, gosh, you're just so silly. Yeah, in the end we spent some time one-on-one -on -one and um, kind of realized we had a lot of interests we shared. And then, um, yeah, we traveled the rest of Asia together and towards the end, Jay was just like, oh, why don't you come to Australia and give it a go? And I was like, well, I've got no, like, no rental, I've got no job, I've got no, nothing that ties me down back at home. So I might as well just continue the adventure and go to Australia for back then a working holiday visa, which we thought was going to last like a year or two. And yeah, now we're almost six and a half years later <laughs> and um, it's home now, yeah. Yeah, well, when Kim first came to the country, um, she was on a working holiday visa. The requirements to get a second year working holiday visa was you have to do three months of regional work. Actually, when I was in Asia with Kim, I withdrew all the money on my credit card so I could stay with her a little bit longer. So I was um, a bit ravaged when I came home with um, a little bit of debt. So. <laughs> Um, but inevitably we had to leave and do some regional work. So we saved up, I bought a van. Um, it was a terrible van later on. We loved it to pieces, but it was terrible mechanically. We just headed north. We ended up getting to Sydney because we heard old stories oh. that when you want seasonal work, you need, just need to go up north and it will find you. Get to Sydney and they said, there's no work up north. There's so many other backpackers looking for work. There's no work. You're better off to, to head south. Then um, I got a gum tree. I saw this bloke that was looking for pickers in, in Renmark, South Australia. Um, and then he said, yeah, mate, you start tomorrow at 8am. First day of picking, we made $40 each in, in 10 hours. But um, we quickly got the hang of it. And I think by the end of it, we were making more money than we were making in the cafe and in the factory anyway. Yeah, so we were in South Australia for, well, we ended up staying there a lot longer than the visa required because we kind of fell in love with the, the lifestyle. Then we were there, then we went to 
We decided to go from citrus season to cherry picking because everyone told us that cherry picking was amazing. Because the people, you get the people that just do the three months and that's it and then they finish up and then you get the people that become addicted to it like we did. Why and, did you become addicted to it? Oh, it's just the greatest life. Look, I, you hear the horror stories every day of people working on farms and the reality is, is that exists in every workplace and it's seriously unfortunate, but I'd take a bad boss out fruit picking rather than a good boss packing things in a factory job any day. You know, you got a taste of the rural life, which was always my plan to, to tempt Kim into coming to country. Um, so that would have been, you know, an accidental clever move by me. For me, I was probably the most annoying picker there because I'd be picking the farmer's brains and be like, oh, you know, what are you putting into the soil here? How are you working that? How often do you need to fertilize? When do you need to irrigate? Um, I think he was a bit shocked that one, I was Australian and two, that I was interested in the growing of it. We saved effectively a house deposit as well as we paid for the partner visa, which was quite a bit of money for Kim to stay here permanently. And um, we saved enough working as fruit pickers to create our, our own farm and our own, our own venture, yeah. We did our travels and we did a lot of seasonal work for years and we were never really stopping anywhere to kind of ground, I suppose, and to make our home. We set ourselves up in Tasmania. Um, we were staying on a farm there picking flowers and we decided to stop seasonal work for the time being. And we stayed there for an entire year, which was the longest time we stayed anywhere. And we were looking at setting ourselves up to live in Tasmania. But um, coming from a friendship group that I've known all my life and, you know, my family as well, it was really hard, especially as well, Kim didn't have a family here. So to put down roots, it was um, important for us to, I guess, be around that connection. So we came back to Victoria and, and I remember as soon as I got back, I was like, no, no, I made a mistake. We've got to go back to Tassie. But um, no. Why was, why was that? Um, the thing is about Victoria is that firstly, Victoria being my home state, I think it's the same with everyone's family as well. And people are things that you know the most, you can critique the most. And I came back to Victoria and I think, oh, it's a nanny state. There's so many rules. It's so busy. The traffic's terrible. But, you know, there's a sneaky pocket about an hour and 45 from the busy centrals. And um, it's just in absolute God's country. We used to go on trips down this way quite often when I was growing up. There was two places that I had a big attachment to, and that was the cold south of Victoria, which is here, and the cold of Tasmania. And I felt a big connection to it because it was, it was something about that dreary rain drench that I was attached to because it's almost like it's forcing you into a position where you go inside, you start up the fire, and you feel this word that Kim has in her language. Oh. Gezellig. It's it's a Dutch word. Scandinavians have it with hige, and it's basically it means like cozy. It's a feeling you get when you walk in somewhere. It's a feeling we have when when you go to someone's house and you have a great time and you all get together and you share a meal. That would be gezellig. It's it's that cozy feeling of home that you know it. It, just because, like, I didn't grow up here. Um, well, yes, we've had the property for a while, but and obviously Kim's from the Netherlands, so. Since we came back to Australia, we've been kind of searching for that that place and having that feeling when you come into South Gippsland with the rolling hills, the forests that we love. You know, we love hiking, we love the outdoors. We're, we're organic market gardeners, so I mean, you, you don't expect us not to be a little bit of a <laughs> little bit of a hippie edge there. But um, that feeling, that word that describes it, that's why. We're, the big idea was for us is we've got 17 acres down there on the second paddock, and we wanted to produce enough money out of this paddock here on an intensive model so a small scale model um, but highly highly um, what do you say like highly intensive growing so that the rest of the 
the paddock in sense we could replant into a forest that was originally here nice. so if we could make yeah. the profits from a small space we could rewild the rest of the paddocks and you know 17 acres in the big scheme of things might not sound like much but if we can show a model that works in that way we can be an example to other people to do the same and you know there's no reason why you can't do something like this on a larger scale with different methods but just to show that it's possible on our scale it, it gives like a step for other people to take that kind of movement as well. Yeah, so we were living in Mornington, on the Mornington Peninsula at the time. So we started off with just some flowers uh, we propagated in Tasmania. We took them back and um, we grew lilies for two seasons and we would just, I would sell them at my job in hospitality. So we were driving back and forth here every single weekend to pick the flowers and to maintain those beds in the area there. And then Jay got a job on a Mornington Peninsula at an organic market garden farm. Beginning of COVID and we just sat down and we were like, yeah, I think the signs are all um, starting to speak to us. And I think even though it sounds crazy, maybe the middle of the pandemic is the right time to mm. actually make the push and um, yeah, start our own. So fully moved in August, quit our jobs and in the middle of winter in South Gippsland, started <laughs> building um, the farm, which was a great test straight away, I guess, in um, learning how to work with nature instead of pushing against her. I think that's how you know you really love an area that you decide to move to it full time in the middle of, you know, like what you said, 70 kilometer wind gusts, bucketing horizontal rain, absolutely the worst weather you could picture. And that was when we decided to come here full time. And we've been here ever since, so I guess we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Dad always said to me, you're into this farm and, you know, why don't you run at Avena, you know, go down there full time and stay. And Kim held back on wanting to come to Avena at the time because she wasn't convinced that there could be a community in the hills in the middle of nowhere. And I think, um, I think that was a big blind push for big Kim. I think it was more being scared, knowing the size of Bina, feeling too lonely, I guess, because I was used to having everything back at home within like a 10 minute cycle and even on the peninsula or even in Tasmania, everything was so close to each other that you were never far away from anything. And when I told my parents that we were gonna move to Bina, the first thing my mom said was like, but is there a yoga studio around there that's <laughs> close by? And that really kind of made them think the same, like, oh, we know you love your space and the nature and the, the rest that comes with it, but are you equipped with country living? And yeah, they've been here when they came to Australia and they absolutely loved it too. You, you only realize how underqualified you are is when you start a project like this. And it's just so daunting. You know, we would start in the 70 kilometer winds and finish in the 70 kilometer winds about 12 hours later in the pitch black. and you know, pushing up this compost, finding all these new supplies and, you know, setting up irrigation, which I'd never done before. Yeah, you know, the whole thing was just a big learning curve for both of us. Even though I had some farm knowledge, the farm, you have to have the farm knowledge, you have to have the knowledge of the seasons, the weather, but also you've got to run a business. You know, you've got to do your invoicing, you've got to learn about your tax, you've got to learn about, you know, GST and, and being, you know, primary producing and all these things that we just wouldn't have thought about. We've got a great response from the area as in, you know, some some stores around here and, you know, Utter and Ho and Locke, Utter and Ho and Kilkanda and been great customers since the start. You know, now we sell into the Menion store, Lee and Gatha Whole Foods. We're doing our farmer's markets and getting regulars that come back. I think that's just something that's insane, like just to have people coming back and saying that you're doing a good thing. 
Um, Got to keep your ego in check though and failed crops always do that for you. Yeah. We lost a lot of, you know, a lot of crops coming into winter, um, which we expected because it's our first time. But um, as far as success goes, we couldn't have imagined it being any better than what it is. At the start, when we started producing, we had our first farmer's market. I think it was November. It was Invoke Farmer's Market then. A little bit beforehand, we were like, yeah, we'll have to start like cold calling people and just be like, hi, we're a new farm in the area. Would you like to, you know, have like a little trial of this or a sample of this? Turns out now we're like a little bit more than half a year later and those customers have really become like good friends and you, you yeah. go in and we do our, Jay and I both do still do our deliveries. So we both kind of grab a patch of South Gippy and we deliver. And it's just like, you get to know people, you get to know their families, their stories. And when you go in to deliver um, your veggies or your flowers, it's a, lot, it's a lot more than just, hi, there you go, goodbye. But it's like, oh, you know, you grab a coffee and how was your weekend? And how did your mm. son go with that? And how, like, I know someone that could help you with this, or I have a friend that would like to come out to the farm and have a look. And yeah, you engage with the community again so much more. And our customers, even though we don't like calling them customers, we just, we just call them by their first names. Um, yeah, just become great friends. And we just, the relationship is just getting better and like more, yeah, stronger every yeah, every week we go and see them. It's like, I want my kids to be able to go fishing where I went fishing and catch a fish. And I want my kids to go bushwalking where I went bushwalking and, you know, enjoy it. I don't want them to rock up at a beach without having to sift through plastic. You go into something like this with a, you know, a bio-intensive model and you think, you know, you're going to save the world. You're going to be farming ethically. So everything you sell is going to save the world. And in a way, I guess you are because you're doing right practices and, you know, if you're growing carrots without chemicals and holding onto that topsoil and creating biodiversity, you are changing the game up. But, you know, on such a small scale, you're also got to be able to say, you know, there's a million of us that need to do this rather than just us. And um, we're effectively not making change unless we can teach others to do the same. So next year, we really plan on trying to get some volunteers in here, sharing our knowledge, trying to get some other people in the area to start up similar projects especially in our area to get more people growing some organic veg or even people growing stuff in their backyards. We want to be the farm where people can come and get the advice, I guess you could say. Yeah, especially Kim's always wanted to educate. So, I'd love to get kids in or even, I've been saying it for ages, clean out the shed and organize like a community movie night and like watch a movie that will probably have to do with like the environment or like some like maybe a nice um, Australian produced movie and just have the community together and afterwards just chat and get to know each other better. And yeah, there's always a story behind everyone. And it's just, um, yeah, those things are definitely in the back of our minds to uh, maybe get some, yeah, schools through or some kids mm. Because um, just seeing the response of young kids when they pull out like some their own carrots or when they pick their own tomatoes, <laughs> it's just that's just priceless. There's nothing that really beats I mean, that. It's just like if I know I can um, provide people with like n nutritious whole foods and that can help them um, with their health and trying to get people more outside and um, yeah live that bit more. Um, lives are like the way we used to. Um, I think people get healthier and then hopefully um, the planet gets healthier because if we get healthier, we want to take care of the thing that takes care of us and that's Mother Nature.
I guess we started doing farmers markets and I have a job, a farm job at a hospitality venue for a day a week. And I would have customers come in and um, they'd be like, hey, I saw you there on the weekend. Oh, you're connected to that farm. You work there or you own um, that farm. And then I'd be like, yeah. And then they would see me somewhere else. They would tell someone else and then... I would see someone else at the market that would say, oh, I went to this place or this cafe and um, they showed me your flowers and they told me you were here and we are only in Inverloch or we're only in Minion or we're only like, actually really close by. And then, yeah, neighbors that told other people and out of nowhere, I got to know so many people that, yeah, I never really thought of um, getting to know that many people in such a short period of time. But yeah, I guess the word spreads in a really positive way and I guess the warmth of people actually, I think it's mainly compared to the city. Regionally, people actually seem to care about how you're doing. So they ask you how you're doing. It's not in the city. That's something, by the way, in Australia, I really had to get used to as well. The, hey, how are you going? And back at home, we'd be like, yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. How are you? But people in Australia just say it while you're passing them in the street. And they're not even really listening to the answer. Um, but I feel like here... When you go more regionally, people know they've got each other. So when they ask you, they actually really care about your answer. What makes this area special? Well, I grow things here, so I'm going to say higher than average rainfall. <laughs> <laughs> You're so close to everything, but far enough away to you know see the stars and, and see real people. You're close enough to everything you need, whether it be you know groceries we don't grow or just go to the movies in Lee and Gatha, but you're far enough away to have your own little slice with no traffic and no issues and, you know, good people, like good neighbours, good area, and just, you know, close to the beach and close to the forests. Like, you couldn't get a better spot, really. Especially now, now we've been here for quite a while, we've actually got to know so many young people that have actually made the move to the era, which is amazing. We've got a little um, like community that's building every week of like really, you know, conscious people that want to make a difference and that love nature and that love taking care of like the land that we're on. But it was also, I guess, waking up to our house Kukubara or like waking up to the amazing um, native like birds we have here. We've got the Rosellas, we've got the you know, the lorikeets, we've got the galars, we've got everything. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And every time I call home and they hear the screeching of the birds, everyone else thinks that doesn't have a clue what's going on. But yeah, now I'm kind of settled and I really enjoy just finishing up a day of work and sitting at the fire and just, yeah, kind of pondering over my day and going inwards a little bit compared to that really busy, um, like city life and always go, go, go. And I think I've definitely outgrown that. And I guess, yeah, Bina might have helped with that as well. <laughs> well speaking of resident kookaburra, there he is. Oh, is he? Yeah, he just always hangs on the tree there. We've got those oh, big, nice. we've got the big earthworms here. We actually had Landcare come out the other week and, and check for the colonies. And I think that's why he's so fat. He's <laughs> been smashing the biggest, <laughs> bigger earthworms in Victoria. The Our People podcast series is produced for South Gippsland Shire Council. To hear more stories from South Gibson like mine, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. For more information about South Gibson and South Gibson Shire Council, visit southgippsland.vic.gov.au.